This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into our daily lives. This week, we'll talk about why you might consider donating to the Be The Match registry, and we'll talk to CNN anchor and best-selling author Anderson Cooper about his new book, Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm right here, right where I have been for a long time in my home office in New York City. And joining me today from L.A. is my sister, Elizabeth Kreft, who has seen Anderson Cooper perform live. I have. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yeah, Gretchen, you know, we talk about having... CNN on is my default mode. Yeah. So I have seen a lot of Anderson Cooper, both on television and, as you said, I've seen him live. Yes. Before we launch in, we are so excited to announce our next book club choice. This is the brilliant memoir by someone we both admire so much. The book is called No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear by Kate Bowler. Yeah, she's a Duke Divinity School professor, and we interviewed her on the podcast in episode 273, Gretch, about her amazing book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, which asks, how do you move forward with a life you didn't choose? Yeah, that book made a huge splash, was extremely popular, and this book is absolutely terrific as well. It comes out September 28th, so if you are listening to this right now, you may have to um, wait a few days for your copy to come, but we will talk to her in several weeks about No Cure for Being Human. So, Gretchen, let's read a description of the book to entice our listeners. Yes. 
It's hard to give up on the feeling that the life you really want is just out of reach. A beach body by summer, a trip to Disneyland around the corner, a promotion on the horizon. Everyone wants to believe that they are headed toward good, better, best. But what happens when the life you hoped for is put on hold indefinitely? Kate Bowler believed that life was a series of unlimited choices until she discovered at age 35 that her body was racked with cancer. In No Cure for Being Human, she searches for a way forward as she mines the wisdom and absurdity of today's best life now advice industry, which insists on exhausting positivity and on trying to convince us that we can out-eat, out-learn, and outperform our humanness. We are, she finds, as fragile as the day we were born. With dry wit and unflinching honesty, Kate Bowler grapples with her diagnosis, her ambition, and her faith as she tries to come to terms with her limitations in a culture that says anything is possible. She finds that we need one another if we're going to tell the truth. Life is beautiful and terrible, full of hope and despair and everything in between, and there's no cure for being human. Yes, and the thing is, it really does have a lot of funny parts. Like, this yeah. is not a book that is, like, searing. <laughs> That's one of Kate's things, is she can handle very serious material, very scary material sometimes, but in a way that is light and often funny. She, if, if you love her as much as we do, you should know she has a terrific podcast called Everything Happens. I recently did an interview there, but she's had so many great conversations. It's a really great podcast. If you're looking for a podcast while you're reading the book. Yes. Very excited to talk yes. to her again. And Elizabeth, this week, our Try This at Home tip comes from a listener. In episode 343 for our Four Tendencies tip, we talked about a listener who, as an obliger, created accountability for taking care of her health by joining the Be The Match National Marrow Donor Program. Because she didn't want a health issue to prevent her from being able to donate, she really started taking care of herself. So it, Be The Match was sort of her form of outer accountability because she wanted to be able to volunteer and she wanted to be healthy enough to volunteer if, if someone would match with her. Yes, and in response to that, um, Gretchen, we heard from another listener, Lauren, who said, my mom and I live about three hours apart. We listen to your podcast every week. Each of us listen on our own time. Then we enjoy a lively discussion about the topics in the show. Oh, and we saw your live show together in Charlotte before the pandemic, Gold Star. Yay, Seems like a so long time ago, Gretch, that we died. were doing live shows. But it was fun. Yes, it was so much fun. She says, I was touched to hear you mention how joining Be The Match National Marrow Donor Program served as a way for an obliger to stay committed to her health. To make a long story short, this was very exciting for me to hear. Be The Match saved my aunt's life. A stranger in Germany donated his stem cells and it cured my aunt's leukemia. Please encourage listeners to sign up. Listeners can start the process by entering their basic information. Be the match will mail you a special Q-tip to swab the inside of your cheek. It's painless. Then you'll be added to the National Marrow Registry. Your chances of actually getting called a donate are actually quite slim. The donation process is often as simple as donating blood thanks to advances in technology. Also, please note that those ages 18 to 35 are the ideal candidates. And then she tells us where we can get more information. And we thought this would be a great try this at home. This would be a great try this at home because, you know, do good, feel good. This is one of those situations where something that you do can have absolutely enormous 
consequences for someone else. You don't know, you can't predict it, you can't foresee it. But something that you might do fairly lightly mm-hmm. ends up being maybe one of the most important contributions you make in your whole life. But I have to report on, Elizabeth, what we found when we went to the links and tried to sign up. Yes. Yeah, so I cannot sign up because I have type 1 diabetes. Yes. If you depend on insulin, you can Yes. Give. Right. Yeah. So that was that. And I'm ineligible because of age. So I meet the official cutoff. But it turns out when you actually like start leaking through, they really do want people ages 18 to 35 because they get really much better health outcomes from that. So we thought we would tweak or try this at home to say sign up yourself or get a loved one to sign up like your um, son or daughter, for instance. Right, right. Like I'm talking to Eliza about doing it. Yes. And another thing they said is, yes, if you can't do it yourself, please help other people become aware of it. So This is what we are doing. We are helping people realize that this is something that you can do. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And I have to say, you know, Elizabeth, this was particularly significant to me because Jamie, my husband, was miraculously cured through science and medicine Mm -hmm. of hepatitis C, which he got from a blood transfusion when he was eight years old, having a heart operation because he had a heart defect. And it was very likely that one day he would need a liver donation. Yes. And if you have hepatitis C, you can't, like with some people, they can get part of a living donor and then they, the liver is so magical, it regenerates itself. But with hepatitis C, you can't do that. You really need someone to donate their liver. And so I, I really relate to this feeling that a stranger could reach out from anonymity and yes. from the past and change your life. Yes. So it's the do good, feel good. Yes. One of the ways to make yourself happier is to make other people happier and to think about what you can do to affect the the health and well-being of of a stranger. It's yes. really powerful. Yes. So let us know if you do try this at home and your experience of signing up for Be The Match. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast.gretchenrubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. You can go to happiercast.com slash 344 for everything related to this episode, including all the links we talked about. Coming up, we have a back-to-school happiness hack. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. 
When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team And hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now for a happiness hack. And this is a hack that is addressing the back to school time. But actually, Elizabeth, it, it, it applies in a lot of different situations. This is a widely applicable idea. Yes. And it comes from Rachel in Kansas. She says... I have a back-to-school happiness hack for you. We recently attended back-to-school night for my middle schooler. The teachers explained that the first week and a half of school was Mercy Week. They won't count a kid tardy during this time as they know that they are still getting the hang of the school and where their classes are. For some reason, that phrase Mercy Week has really resonated with me. I have decided to give myself a Mercy Week and a half as well. So every time I can't get something done as I normally would because of back-to-school madness, I tell myself, Mercy Week. I didn't get the dishes done because we had a back-to-school event. Mercy Week. I am behind on laundry because I had to go school supply shopping instead. Mercy Week. We are eating out more than usual. Mercy Week. Mercy Week has really opened my eyes to giving myself grace as we try to navigate the back-to-school transition. Well, Elizabeth, this reminds me of how you always give something a catchphrase or a catchy name, and somehow it just sticks better and feels more powerful. Yeah, and Gretchen, um, it reminds me of Unhappier in Hollywood. We talk about season of sacrifice. Yeah. And again, how naming that helped us, you know, when there are these times when you're just giving yourself over to something. And Mercy Week is just a time when you have to be a little more easy on yourself and accept that certain things may fall through the cracks. Right. And I was thinking this is great for back to school week because I think, yes, we all suffer that when school starts again. But also there are times like if I have a big pitch where I might have to say, okay, Mercy Week, I have a huge pitch. Things aren't going to get done. Right. I'm not going to make that doctor's appointment this week you know, Mercy Week. And what I like about Mercy Week is it's limited because if you're sort of like, things are bonkers, I just can't deal or something, that kind of, it's vague. It's, you feel like, well, am I just drifting into chaos? Where Mercy Week is like, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. It will take, you know, I will go through it and then I will come out the other side because whatever is happening is limited and temporary and then I'll get back on track. And so I think it, it gives you mercy, but it also gives you a little nudge to try to get back into what uh, whatever your usual pattern is, because yes. that is probably the pattern 
that supports your happiness, your, you know, makes you happy, healthy, productive, and creative over the long term. So you don't want to let it go too long. Right. So this is a way to give yourself that grace period, but also make sure that it doesn't just start being continue on. Yeah. Continuing on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great phrase. Yes. So thank you, Rachel. We love that. Yes. Teachers always come up with the greatest ideas. Yes. And now for an interview with Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper is an award-winning broadcast journalist and political commentator. He's anchor of the CNN show Anderson Cooper 360 and a correspondent for 60 Minutes on CBS News. He's written two best-selling books, his memoir, Dispatches from the Edge, and a book co-authored with his mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, The Rainbow Comes and Goes, A Mother and Son on Life, Love, and Loss. And if that's not enough, one of his good friends is Andy Cohen, the radio and TV talk show host, producer, and writer who, among other things, is host of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen and, ta-da, executive producer of the Real Housewives (laughs) franchise. So I'm very familiar with Andy Cohen, and Anderson and Andy do live tours together doing a conversational stage show called AC Squared, which I saw in Los Angeles and absolutely loved. Now, another notable thing about Anderson Cooper is that his mother was Gloria Vanderbilt, so he's part of the famous Vanderbilt family founded by his great-great-great-grandfather, the shipping and railroad tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt, who, when he died, was the richest man in America. But then, as Anderson Cooper writes in his book, within 100 years, that fortune was gone. Now, with the historian Catherine Howe, Anderson Cooper has written a new book that's getting a ton of buzz about just this, Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty. Welcome, Anderson. Hi, Anderson. Hey, how's it going? Good. We both love this book. And one of the reasons we loved it is because it reminded us of the TV show Succession. I don't know if you've oh my thought God. of that. I love Succession. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But down to your great, great, great grandfather, Cornelius, deciding who comes to his bedside when he's sick. It just really yeah. resonated with us. I, you know, I, you know, I often think of like, wow, this could be like a Netflix series. And then I think like you could actually do it as a yes. modern day like family but it, yeah. it's basically it is it's very succession and all the ne'er-do-well <laughs> cousins who kind of pop in and take advantage of the name and uh yeah it's a lot of parallels well also i mean what's interesting about the vanderbilts is you know now when people look back in history they think of them as like this old money family when in, in fact at the time that the commodore commodore vanderbilt you know, launched these two empires and steamships and railroads and, and made, you know, amassed a fortune of $100 million by the time he died in 1877. He was like the nouveau riche guy in New York society that, you know, none of the old money in New York society wanted anything to do with because he he was the first generation that made the money. And in New York society at right. the time, you had to be two generations removed from the awful wow. making of the money. <laughs> uh, so like Carolyn Astor, who's, you know, the the who was controlled New York society at that time, she's the one who instituted this two generation rule. And it's because it was her grandfather 
who's the one who had beaver blood oh. on his hands from like killing so many beavers and selling beaver pelts, which is how they made their first fortune. Wow. So she made the rule that worked for her. Yes, exactly. But you're exactly <laughs> right. If you're in New York now, you see Vanderbilt Avenue, you see the giant statue by Grand Central Terminal. Yeah, it's this established kind of, yeah. right, exactly. It's like the epitome of old money when in fact they were, you know, sort of not exactly the Trumps of their age, but uh, something like that. Yes. Now, you've said that you were inspired to write this in part because of wanting to write a letter to your son. Why was that? Why did you feel that impulse to do it? And do you think that you could have done it if your mother were still alive? Well, yeah. So my dad died when I was 10, and he wrote a book right before he died called Families, which was about his family growing up poor in Mississippi on a farm in the Depression and and his ancestors and the family he created with my mom. And he wrote it as a letter to my brother and I because he knew— he probably was not going to be around uh, to see us grow up. And he had uh, heart issues and heart disease. So I'm so thankful that he wrote that. And I have always grown up. One of the reasons I didn't have a kid until I was past 50 is I always thought I would die at the age of 50 because that's how old my father was when he died. And when I hit 51, my doctor was like, you know what? You're probably going to be around for a while. Um, I was like, oh, okay, well, then I'll have a kid, which doesn't really make any sense, but that's how I was thinking. But I still have that idea of what if I'm not there for him? And so I've set everything Mm. up in my life for any potential worst case scenario. That's why I'm parenting with my ex, uh, co-parenting, because he's Mm. great. And if something happens to me, I want him to have another parent who's already there. And I want him to have a lot of, you know, adult friends of ours in in our lives and in, in his life because I desperately mm-hmm. as a kid wanted some, uh, you know, responsible adult to kind of, you know, reach out and, and, you know, I don't know, take me out to a ball game or, a, you know, out for lunch every now and then. So I, I so yeah, so I really am writing this because I didn't know what I would tell my kid when my son, when he asked me, well, who are these Mm -hmm. Vanderbilts that, you know, we're kind of distantly Mm -hmm. related to? And as for my mom, she would have been tickled pink by this book. I I would have totally written it. Oh, my God. My mom would have loved this book because uh, there's actually an interview I did with her in 2016 in which she she said that she has no feeling about the Vanderbilts. She had no connection to them whatsoever because the time she was born... In 1924, the first 10 years of her life, she was living in Europe with her mom in various hotels, and she didn't even know she was a member of the Vanderbilt family. She had no idea who they were. And even when she was forcibly removed from her mother's custody by courts and given to Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney to raise as a teenager, you know, she didn't know who Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney was. She barely knew her. She'd barely met her. And even after that, she there was no real connection to the Vanderbilt. So she would have been amazed by the stories in this book because she, I don't think she knew them, just like I grew up right. intentionally not, ah. not knowing anything about them. But you do talk about things like her spending money and you feeling very out of, that that was very out of control and feeling very anxious. Would you have written about yeah, that? I, part I, of it? Well, I she certainly she, knew right. that. It was certainly something I you know I talked to her about that. I talked to my mom about pretty much everything as we were growing up. And in, in well, and you wrote the book yeah, together. Yeah, we wrote a book yeah. together. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think you know spending was something that I often spoke with her about. I mean, at thirteen, I was you know <laughs> yeah. I remember at like thirteen or fourteen, I had read somewhere that that. Um, Saving money is making mm. money. And I kept repeating mm. that to her as like a mantra, like, you know, you know, or not spending money is making money. Of course, she would look mm. at me like, 
I, that's not going to yeah. happen. Like, you know, she would look at me. We both knew that she was not going to change her ways, but it was something that was very much in my mind and we, we thought, discussed a lot about. So, you know, and, and at the end uh, of her life, and I include this in the book, she said to me, I mean, literally a few days before she died, she said, you know, I bet everybody thinks you're going to, you know, be inheriting lots of money. She said this like laughing in a funny way. And she was like, you know, boy, won't they be surprised? <laughs> and, you know, mm. it was, uh, that was sort of the story that, had always followed me around when I was a kid. And even as an adult, you know, people are like, well, you don't have yeah. to work. But of course, that, that wasn't the reality. Happily so. Mm. Well, and obviously, Anderson, you've investigated many, many things that it's your job. Was it different investigating this history of your own family? And did you feel like you learned anything about yourself as you were investigating? I, I did. I don't, it wasn't difficult in that it wasn't like I had a lot of familial feeling toward, you know, I have nothing against them, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I, it, I went about <laughs> it as I would, you know, the next, I'm actually with Catherine Howe, my co-author and I are thinking about writing a book about the Astors mm. next, uh, ah. and especially modern day Astors, not so much the Gilded Age. But yeah, you know, I went about it like I would any kind of reporting assignment. I wanted to, I, I was interested not so much in, you know, the business accomplishments of the Commodore Vanderbilt. There's been plenty of books written about that. And I think history is often written by men about what used to be called great men. And I think we've, there's plenty of that out there. I wanted to, I wanted to focus a lot on the, the women in the Vanderbilt family because there's an incredible strong women uh, who were- oh, Character. Yeah. I mean, for better or for worse. I mean, irredeemable, awful in some ways, uh, you know, remarkable in other ways. And, um, I, you know, I wanted it to be about human beings in key moments of their life in the public eye and what their actual life was like and how different their inner life was from what the perception of what their life was like. Now, did you find, because you are a family member, were there documents and diaries or or other kinds of sources that you could tap into that others couldn't? Was that, did you get any special access? Yeah, it's interesting because there's limited actual historical information about the life of Commodore Vanderbilt, about, you know, his thoughts. People didn't Mm. write journals in the way that they write journals now. Journals back then were very much of, today I, uh, you know, sunny and uh, the tide was, (laughs) you know, was fast. It's not like, oh oh my God, I'm feeling anxious about this. Processing (laughs) emotions. Right. There's not a lot of processing, (laughs) right? There's no journey. The word journey does not appear Uh anywhere. Process does not appear anywhere. Journaling. Yes. Journaling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how things have become, like all these words have become verbs, like deplaning. Like when did that, that's not a word. (laughs) No. But my mom had kept everything she ever received. So every Christmas card, every letter, and for 15 years while my mom was alive, I have been going through this storage Mm. unit that my mom had her entire life that she never visited, but things would just be relegated to, like in Citizen Kane. You describe how like, oh, I think of this side table that I used to have. Go get it and it'd come back. She never (laughs) went, but it was like this repository. Right. Out of the blue, my mom would ask her housekeeper, Nora, who had worked with her for like 60 years or something. She'd say, Nora, do you remember that side table that we had in the house in 67th Street in 1973? (laughs) You know, the one with the lacquer top. Can you find that? And Nora would, you know, bless her, go to this storage unit that my mom had never been to and she would somehow magically locate this thing. And my mom, it would be brought back and my mom would greet it with, you know, as if it was like a long lost love. And then 
within a month, she would be like, she'd call me up and she'd mm. be like, you know, Anderson, that table is just mm. not working. Do you have room for it in your basement? Or So I've been going uh. through all her stuff. And then when she died, I found all these letters that were actually in her apartment in boxes, which she had gone through, which were from her Aunt Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney and her mom and her great aunt and all these people. And I really started to hear their voices for the first time. And that's really what kind of informed the way mm. I went about this book. And did you, you obviously knew a lot about the family. You knew they'd lost the fortune and all of that. But did you find anything that really surprised you or shocked you? I, I did not know anything about them. I mean, I, I could mm. not, have, I actually could not have told you my direct lineage to Commodore okay. Vanderbilt. So oh. I, could, I knew who my grandfather was because he died when my mom was an infant and drank himself to death at the age of 45. I kind of knew who his father was, but I often got it confused, and I did not know who his father was, and his father was Cornelius Vanderbilt. So it's a pretty straight line, wow. but I, I got them all confused. A lot of them have similar names, like William Willie K. Vanderbilt, mm. William H. Vanderbilt, and there's a couple of Corneliuses. So uh, to me, I really knew nothing about them. And so for me, it was revelatory at every level and more fascinating than I could have possibly imagined. I mean, it's just, you know, I watched The Crown yes. and Downton Abbey and those shows. This is, you know, multi-generational. It's like The Crown. It goes on and on. And each generation, there's just incredibly remarkable characters and not, I mean, some of them are awful and irredeemable, but to me, it's fascinating to see how some of the things which we as a society, you know, believe, which is having a amassing huge wealth, having fame, what the, what that actually looked like, at least in the lives of these people back then, and how that somebody who had a single-minded determination on making money, which is the Commodore, which he described as a mania for money or in a pathology how that pathology infected the lives of his children and his children's children and their children. Well, and also fame, because you look at the effect that fame had on your mother's childhood. I mean, you write so beautifully about how really it shaped her yeah. whole life. It absolutely did. I mean, she was famous from the time she was born. And as I said, I mean, she, had, she was involved in what was at the time called the trial of the century when she was removed from her mother's custody and, and given to her Aunt Gertrude. And it was all part of a plot hatched by my mom's nanny and, and her actual grandmother uh, to have my mom taken away from. I mean, I mean you yeah. just can't make it up. It's crazy. So, so. It is really insane. <laughs> yeah, it's really incredible. And then, you know, there's people like my great uncle, Willie K. Vanderbilt, whose wife was this racist Confederate uh, child of the Confederacy and who, you know, came to New York, had no money, married a, a Willie K. Vanderbilt, basically sold her daughter, broke the Vanderbilts into New York society through sheer like determination and, and, and savvy uh, through lavish, part, incredible, insane parties, and then married off her daughter forcibly to a, a British duke so that they would get the, the glory of having, you know, an English title. And this duke would get money to pay for his dilapidated Blenheim Palace. I've read the memoir of Consuela. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a whole deep dive, too. Yeah. So um, there's just so many interesting characters I knew nothing about. Yeah, Anderson, we both read yeah. a book you wrote with your mom, The Rainbow Comes and Goes. And one thing we loved in it was when you talked about your mom having a rage to live. Mm. And we actually brought it up on the podcast in episode 232, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that. Because um, we asked listeners, do you have a rage to live? Because I think some people do and some people mm. don't. Like, I don't. Um, but Really? Uh, no. Me neither. Really? Not the way your mom describes it. Huh. 
And so it seems like a lot of people in your family had a rage to live. Yeah, I think some of them just had rage, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You need both. <laughs> but you know what? Actually, I don't know. I think that's one of the things that the money took away from a lot of the Vanderbilts, frankly. I, I think if oh. they had had a, ra a rage to live, I think they would have done stuff. Mm, interesting. Yeah. There's not huge accomplishments that you can really point to. I mean, Harold Sterling Vanderbilt invented some famous move in bridge, the game bridge. But I mean, I don't know if, the, I guess for bridge players that amounts to something, but it, to me, I mean, he did win right. the America's Cup. But, you know, I, I just feel like if they really had a rage, if they had a drive, you know, Elva had a mm. rage, you know, she was filled with, I think, rage and she had a rage to, to get the Vanderbilts into society. She had a rage to get the social status mm. of her daughter being married off. And then she had a rage to divorce her husband at a time when that was unheard of and a rage to, you know, get women the right to vote, which, you know, she's now remembered as this great promoter of women's equality, which is stunning given the fact she was started out life as just an awful racist. Hmm. But yeah, I think that rage to live comes from deprivation or it comes from sadness or it comes mm -hmm. from pain. You know, I, my mom had that, you know, she wanted to be heard and seen and felt. And, and she and I connected on that. I mean, I have the, she and I were very much alike in that. I totally understood that about my mom. And that's what helped my mom survive things which, you know, my brother died by suicide in front of her. He jumped off the balcony of our, of our apartment uh, when he was 23 in front of my mom. And, you know, that is something which a lot of people might not be able to survive uh, as a parent or, you know, the being taken away at the age of 10 and given to somebody you don't even know and, uh, have the people you love removed from your life. And, you know, my mom, that rage, I think, was born very early. You know, she often, there's a poem, uh, The Hard-Hearted Heart of a Child, and my mom often referenced that of, actually, the poem, I think, is something about beauty, but there's a line in it about the hard-hearted heart of a child. And I love that line because I think it's, my mom had that, and I think I, I certainly understand what that means as well. Well, it's a fascinating book, and it's all true. I mean, it's history, so it's uh, it makes it especially fascinating. Now, before you go, Anderson, we always ask our guests, do you have a Tried This at Home suggestion for listeners for something that they can do to be happier, healthier, more productive, or more creative? Um, let me just think. For me, something I just recently was discussing with a therapist was the idea of not trying to be productive in every mm. moment of my day. Not that I ever even accomplished mm. that, but... Just that feeling of, like, I've had a list of things I need to do for maybe 45 of my 54 years. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's still things on that list from, what, 30 years ago, probably. <laughs> it just sort of yes. still, it just gets pushed down. <laughs> yeah, it's a rolling list. A rolling list. But, but that feeling of, I've worked actually a lot this last year, year and a half, on calming my brain, on not... Mm -hmm. uh, feeling like I have to be productive at all times. And I got to say, it's incredible. And having a son has really helped with this because I set mm -hmm. up like the top floor in, in my house and there's a big like play room. And that's now the epicenter of the house. And I love nothing more than just hanging out up there, you know, playing with him and or he's napping and I'm just sitting there. Maybe I'm reading something. It's something I never did before. And I think that's um, you know, if you think you need to be productive at all times, try not being. And it, it's, 
Yeah, it's pretty great. So schedule time to goof off, put it on <laughs> yeah, your Yeah, <laughs> or even just, you know, binge watching. You know, I like, I just rewatched uh, one of my favorite TV series, uh, which is on HBO Max called Gamora, which is like an incredibly violent was- uh, story about the Naples mob, and there's four seasons of it. And I've watched it, you know, I watch things repeatedly over and over again. I find it comforting and I like it. Um, oh, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Well, thanks so much. This was, it was so great to get to talk to you. Thanks, Anderson. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Coming up, I give myself a post-Puerto Rico happiness to merit. But first, this break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hat chore? Mm-hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. Eating processed food for every meal isn't healthy for people or for dogs. We all know that. And kibble is subject to multiple rounds of high heat processing, making an ultra processed food. The farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. My dog, Barnaby, loves the farmer's dogs. When he sees me pulling one of those packets out, he comes running. It's personalized, vet-developed, and it has recipes for as little as $2 a day. Meals arrive in pre-portion, ready-to-serve packs, and they're conveniently delivered on whatever schedule works for me. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. Gretch, I love eating sandwiches like a grilled cheese or a peanut butter (laughs) sandwich is my ideal lunch, but I'm very aware of my carb intake, so oftentimes I avoid sandwiches. Luckily, Hero Bread has remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories. Plus, it has protein and fiber. I have been using it to make grilled cheeses, and I use their tortillas to make a cheese quesadilla, and I am in heaven. Hero Bread tastes great, has a terrific texture, and helps you meet your nutrition goals. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use happier at checkout. That's happier at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Okay, Elizabeth, time for demerits and gold stars. And this is an episode where it's your turn to hand out a demerit. 
Yes. So, okay, Gretchen, on Happier in Hollywood, Sarah and I set our clean slate intentions for when we return from our many, many weeks in Puerto Rico, yes. where we were living <laughs> at a resort and not having yeah. great habits. And one of my um, intentions was not to eat after 10 p.m., which I know sounds late, but I am a late night snacker. So mm. I thought if I don't eat after 10, that is going to have a huge impact on what I put in my body. That's a great bright line rule. Excellent. Yes. So the demerit is that I haven't even tried to do this. It's not mm. even like, oh, I failed a lot of the time. I just haven't even tried. So there may be times I didn't eat after 10 p.m., but if so, that was just coincidence. So I need to set that intention and actually then go through with trying. Do you think this is related to being in that zombie mode that maybe you just mm. feel like you can't demand something of yourself at this point? Probably. Or it just wasn't on the uppermost of your mind. Like you kind of forgot that you even set the intention, which sometimes happens. Like you get really excited about something yes. and then you just sort of forget. Yes. What do you and, think was going on? Well, those both ring true. <laughs> um, I do think I forgot, but maybe I sort of intentionally forgot, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to, I guess, try to reset this intention. Ha I need Post-its. Mm -hmm. as some as I said to Sarah, I need to put a Post-it of this on my computer. And she's like, or on the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And, and then I said, really on the cabinet, the snack cabinet is where mm -hmm. I need a Post-it. Mm -hmm. But anyway... Gretchen, also, we're, we made a bunch of intentions. Um, yeah. So if you want to hear more about how we're both doing, uh, spoiler alert, Sarah's doing much better than I am. Um, we talk about it on Happier in Hollywood tomorrow in episode 228. Well, and Alyssa, this is, you're going to put up the post-it note, but also this is an example of like when we give ourselves a demerit because we think if we talk it through a yes. little bit more... Sometimes you have to hear yourself say it a couple times before it sticks. And so Absolutely. that's the point of the demerit is that not to make yourself feel bad for the fact that you weren't executing on this the way you wanted to, but just to say, okay, now it's back on the top of my list. It's on my mind and I'm, I'm going to try again. So yes, that is the beauty of the demerit. That's the beauty of the demerit. Not that we don't often have repeat demerits, yes. but that's how they're supposed to work. <laughs> yes. Okay, Gretchen, what is your gold star this week? Okay, well, I'm going to give a gold star to listeners and also a gold star to myself because I have been napping. Oh, I had yay. talked. Yeah, I had talked about how I wanted to experiment with napping because there's all this research that shows that at like a 20 to 25 minute nap really increases your your focus and your energy and it boosts your mood and it makes you learn better and that sometimes the best way to keep going is to let yourself stop. And I was very concerned about well was was it going to be too hard to give it up or was I going to nap too long? And I have to say I kind of expected that people might say like what are you doing napping in the middle of the day? Mm -hmm. But many listeners wrote in and encouraged me and gave me lots of tips, mm. like really try to do it for 25 minutes and try to go someplace where it's really quiet. Don't try to be someplace that sort of, you know, really treat it like you would treat it going to bed at night where you're trying to really create an environment that's very peaceful. Don't just, you know, mm. slump down. And it's been really interesting. I really, really like it. So thank you to everyone who encouraged me because I really was sort of, I intellectually knew that I wanted right. to try it, but I still had some sort of hesitation. But now I'm like, I'm all in on the nap. So thank you, you, everyone. Gretch. Yeah. Now the resources for this week, follow along with my newest project on Instagram. If you go to Here is the Happiness Project, 
or you can join in using the hashtag #HappierSeptember to share a small thing that's giving you a boost of happiness this month. Um, Elizabeth, I posted a, every holiday time. Our father, one of his like little jobs around holiday time is to light these special incense cones. <laughs> and a couple of years ago, because of my interest in smell, he gave me a little seven cent sampler, which I forgot I had. So I've been smoking those things up and my mm. whole office smells so spicy and wonderful. And that made me happy. How about you, Alyssa? What's giving you a boost of happiness? Gretchen, you know I love a mug. You love a mug. <laughs> and when Adam and I picked up Jack at camp, the day we picked him up, we bought a mug um, in Shaver Lake, which is a town near the camp. And it is the perfect mug. I have uh. found the perfect mug. Woo. And every time I drink out of it, it reminds me of that day, which was Literally probably one of the top five happiest days Aww. of our lives because Aww. not only were we reunited with Jack, but he'd had such a good time. Yeah. And it was like, he was like glowing Aww. that it's a boost of happiness every time I drink from this wonderful mug. Oh, that's so great. Well, so if you want to see the incense set, which <laughs> I highly recommend if you like incense, or the perfect mug, go to Here is the Happiness Project on Instagram. While we're reading, Elizabeth, what are you reading? I am still reading Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. And I am still reading The Yellow Room by Sarah M. Broom. Hashtag read 21 and 21. Indeed. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Sign up for the Be The Match registry. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our guest, Anderson Cooper. Read his book, Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And I've said it once, and I'll say it again. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend, rate, review, follow us, and Drop us an email and let us know you've done it so we can thank you personally. We really, really do appreciate it so much. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Gretch, what's so funny is so often when I'm on Zoom, I don't even realize that I have Anderson Cooper on like behind my shoulder on the TV. <laughs> so he's like your little Jiminy Cricket, like whispering yes. into your ear because yeah. your TV is right behind your head yes. yeah. when you're Zooming. Oh, that's and funny. And I'll mute it and then not realize, I don't even notice I didn't turn it off. So it's just funny. Well, he's a constant presence. Yes, he really is. From the Onward Project.